Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. Hello, it's Beverly Williams author of Your GPS to Employment Success, How to Find and Succeed in the Right Job. I'm also an employment and labor professional and host of this podcast, Your Employment Matters. Now, as I've told you in previous interviews and posts, my continued goal is to provide for your consideration my perspective about employment matters and also to comment on hot topics in pop culture, sports, entertainment, and of course, employment. My goal is to discuss or raise issues that have some thread of employment in it. Currently, I'm working on a series of podcast interviews about labor management relations and alternative dispute resolution. After years of decline in union membership, more than two years of COVID-19 and working remotely, and the impact of the Great Resignation, there is cautious optimism about a resurgence of unionism. My aim is to interview knowledgeable individuals to share their labor management experience, and hopefully I'll be able to present For your consideration, interviews from both labor, which includes union officers and union members and management, employers and business owners, as well as from neutrals, that's mediators and arbitrators, so that you will be better informed about labor management relations generally and unionism in particular. My first guest, and this is my first interview for this year, 2024, is what I call a testament and a template to perseverance. My guest, Brendan Spencer, is someone I met recently. He's a physical therapist, and he's had challenges that when I heard his story, I thought to myself, he's moved forward in a way that I don't know whether I could have, but I'm sure that so many people would not have had the intestinal fortitude and the tenacity that he has. So 
Without further ado, I'm going to leave it to Brendan Spencer to share his journey, journeys with you. And I'll just sit back and ask questions as I deem appropriate or I think would add something to the interview because Brendan is quite capable of sharing his story on his own. How are you? Thank you so much for coming. Hi, Beverly. How are you? Fine. I'm just trying to think of where to even start. Well, we've discussed your challenges. I guess. And you've been quite candid. So why don't you start with college, when you entered college? So originally I entered Kane University. I did at the time, unfortunately, or I started at Kane University and, you know, there's so much competition, academic stress and everything like that, that. At the time, I was getting into weight training. I took some of these workout supplements because, you know, with the way things are in that kind of world, you want to get your competitive edge where I end up taking all these pre-workout supplements. And it really, for a bad start in college, it really overstimulated my nervous system. And I ended up getting diagnosed with panic disorder. It really affected me getting back and forth to school, just starting my first semester where I couldn't drive myself. My mother would have to drive me back and forth. But it got to a point where I was like, I really need to get this under control. So it started, my mother would drive me there. I would drive myself back and everything was fine. Then eventually she would just sit in the car with me. I'd drive back to school. I'd go in, I'd go out till... It took a couple months till I was just able to go back and forth by myself. But that was just my first hurdle was uh, panic, like just dealing with panic attacks. And I feel like it's a lot more common than people think. And when I speak to other people my age who are dealing with it, a lot of them had just given up on what they do. Like some people would get it when they go on the highway. They said, I'm never driving on the highway again in New Jersey. I'm sure you realize how limiting that can be because you can't drive locally everywhere. So I just had a mindset of, I really had exposed myself to things that really made me uncomfortable, whether it were, again, just going out driving me, even when I turned, I couldn't even go out for a drink anymore. Like it made me very anxious where I had to overcome those things. And then of course, you know, later on, this leads on to, Later in my career at Kane University, when I worked a part-time job over at Paper Mill Playhouse, I was lifting all these boxes of wine, putting them away, sorting them out, and I ended up herniating one of my discs. It actually fully ruptured. I did not know at the time. I thought it was an ankle sprain because I just had pain down my leg, no pain in my back. And Again, I had to go back and forth to school. This is probably like right before my last semester. All I did was I told my professors, I said, listen, I had two weeks ago. I wasn't going to throw it away. I said, excuse my absence this one week and I'll go in there. And what ended up happening was that I had to figure a way to do it. Now I understand what I did. But I got these crutches. Thank God my mom got them from a gently used sale at a church. And I was able to hobble into class. But the only problem is it, I couldn't sit in a chair and I couldn't stand up straight. 
So I just asked all my professors, I said, hey, would you mind if I laid on the floor? I said, I'll do it in front of the class. So you know, I'm not cheating or doing anything. And I take my exams and they're like, I don't see a problem with it. Matter of fact, it's probably less likely that you're cheating. So I take it, I do it. And lo and behold, still one of my best semesters. And, you know, it wasn't a cakewalk. It was like anatomy and physiology, organic chemistry, kinesiology. And I ended up doing really well where even when I went back to my last semester, fast forward to then, uh, this is after I had my surgery, everything like that. I had to get a letter of recommendation for senior seminar. And I went back to my anatomy teacher, my kinesiology teacher, and, you know, they deal with a lot of kids where they had at least this experience with me where I said, you know, would you really consider giving me this letter of recommendation? I need it for senior seminar. And they're like, aren't you the guy that laid on the floor for the exam? Yeah, come right in. Because, you know, in school, unfortunately, I feel like you hear a lot of things like, you know, I have a little bit of a headache, like I can't go into class or my foot aches a little bit, like I'm going to have to miss a test. So even when I was dealing with something very serious, I found a way around it. You know, it's not how I planned to go <laughs> out my last two weeks there, but, you know, I just had to adapt, find a way. Again, I always thank my mother for being there, for helping me through these things, because I'll be honest, at least I have her as a resource that not everybody necessarily has. Well, you know, the other thing but, is, I don't know whether you realized it or not, you were able to distinguish yourself so that you were memorable in a positive way. Oh, yeah. So in each class in which you laid on the floor and took your exam, that professor and even those other students if anyone asked about you or if they your name came up, they could make a positive statement about you. And oh, yeah. I remember my, my kinesiology teacher even mentioned, uh, mentioned me because I actually ran into her uh, over in Union when I was over there. And she uh, was like, you know, I still tell some of my classes about you because... I say, you know, no matter how hard it is to get here, even if you get late or something, I had a guy who uh, had hurt his back and now he, you know, he came to finals. So I was like, there's not many excuses. Right. But, you know, I always say to, to people of all ages, you want to distinguish yourself. People say, oh, you have to differentiate yourself. No. You don't have to differentiate yourself. Oh, yeah. Being different is not enough. You have to distinguish yourself. You have to create a personal brand or a memory in people that is distinguished, yeah. that and, is special. And even to add on to that, like I feel like a lot of times when people are trying to do things too often or not, like, I'll say even in, like, the gym, for example, a lot of people ask, like, how do you increase your weight? What's the easiest and fastest way to build up strength and all that? And I said, well, you got one part of it right, which is what's the fastest way? But you shouldn't be asking what's the easiest. You should be asking what's the right way to do it. And the right way isn't always easy. And if you do something easy, you know, that's when you can 
get frustrated because, you know, real things that are really worthwhile aren't easy. No, they usually aren't. Sometimes they are. And but that's a fluke. Uh, You know, it does happen frequently, but it does happen. Usually it takes work. To your point, it takes planning. It takes preparation, planning, persistence and perseverance. All those P's, all those P's are what, you know, seriously, that's, you know, in the first chapter of my book, the three P's are there. You've got to prepare yourself. You've got to prepare yourself mentally. And apparently you were. I mean, at least you came to terms with what you were confronted with. And your goal was to graduate. You know, a lot of people would have said, well, I can't do this now. I'll have to wait. Yeah. And I'll tell you too, like even me, my plan was initially to go for a doctorate in physical therapy program, but it was, I met a, another therapist over at uh, St. Barnabas. His name was Tony. I remember he helped rehab me uh, when I had my back surgery and he said, Oh, you know, like there's also like a PTA, a physical therapist assistant. And uh, he told me, you know, there's a great program at Essex. He said, it's hard to get in, though. It, they only take 30 students a year. But when I heard about it, you know, it's not a lot of tuition. Pay is generally pretty comparable to if you did do DPT. So I was like, what you know, sounds, the doctorate in physical okay. therapy. So that's a master's program that you need to go for three years. Kane did have one at the time, but when I graduated, it okay. wasn't accredited yet. So I was like, mm, do I sink my eggs in a basket? Uh, you no, know. you find <laughs> out. exactly but this was a great program when i looked at the statistics and i recommend it to anybody again it's they take 30 students a year but it's a hundred percent pass rate for the state board exams because you know you can graduate from the program but if you don't pass your licensing from the state you can't practice period and then two there's a hundred percent higher rate out of the program within three months So that's another big thing people don't look at when they go to college is when I take this major or something like that, how likely am I to get a job afterwards? Because, you know, that's kind of like the age old tale in the past, like 10 years now, people graduate with all this debt, but they can't find a job. Well, the healthcare industry is booming and we need more physical therapists, doctors, nurses, nurses. That was actually one of the things that helped me decide. Sorry. That was one of the things that helped me decide it when I was in, because I always had like an idea I wanted to do physical therapy, but I had a guidance counselor when I was in high school who, uh, she was just like, you know, because she's like, oh, what do you want to do? Do you want to do this or that? And my mother is like very stern, like, uh, she, like, I'm a first generation American on her side. She came here from Jamaica. And I remember originally I wanted to get into like some music stuff, uh, stuff like that. But my mom was like, the arts, you leave for your free time. You need to do something that's in demand. And when I had spoken to my guidance counselor, she's like, well, you know, there's this job that's in demand, this. And then the third one was, oh, physical therapy. And it was like, I believe like one of the top three jobs they gave green cards for. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm already here. So I'm going to have a job when I leave. So I, you know, I already had that mindset early on. Again, common theme is God bless my mom for setting my mind straight. 
but it was uh, very helpful towards me. And then again, once I got into the program, again, great professors at Essex County. I think nationally it's ranked in the programs ranked in the top 91st percentile for PTAs, but it's a hard program. I remember my graduation size by the time the second year was done was probably around 22 kids. So a good like 20% at least was not up to snuff. You've got to be up to the challenge. I remember when I was, um, I went to law school at night. I went to Rutgers Law School at night and I worked a full-time job. So I was working day and night. I was working. And the first day of the law school, the orientation, when all the students are together in the evening class, (laughs) the um, dean comes in, he says, look around, look to your left, look to your right. Some of those people won't be here when we, when in four years when you graduate, because the, the law school going days is three years, but going nights with that program was four years. And I'm like, Oh, wow. I don't want to be one of those. You have to work. You know, know, it takes a commitment and it's not for the faint of heart. Of course not. I mean, even I'll tell you, my professor had a very strict style that it was, she'd have us in lab one and lab two. And believe us, we had before that we had no qualms with one another, but she really pit us against each other where it was very motivational. It was like, hey, I want to do better than the other group because I want to stand out. Like you said, I want to distinguish myself from that other group because guess what? Like even I'm going back to classes now over there because I am trying to enter into a radiography program in September. But as soon as I met my professors, you know, they haven't seen me in uh, three years. uh, They're like, oh, Brendan, like, how are you? Like, you know, they remembered me off the bat. That's great. And that's what you want. And, you know, you want to keep talking to them so they'll keep remembering you. Oh, yeah. You know, I regret not being more active in legal professions, professional organizations. I'm not a joiner. And that's something I should have done. I'm doing it more now, but, you know. I get that too. Like, I know in physical therapy, there's a very low rate, and I'm guilty of it too, of joining, like, the American Physical Therapy Association. Again, just sometimes, I guess, people have a hard time finding the value in it, you know, because physical therapy, I feel like, is a out of all the medical fields, you know, we spend a lot of time mm-hmm. with patients, but. I feel like reimbursement's generally being cut a lot for it and stuff like that, where, uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, like people are like, if the association's not fighting for me, why am I going to join it? Because it it connects you with other people in other locations and it establishes you in their mind and in the organization. If you're local, I I think it's very important. Oh, I agree with you. I think it's very important long term, like, because, again, if you all can collectively, you know, like the larger organizations like insurance companies, if you can't collectively bargain together or collectively, you know, one therapist on their own is not going to have that much power. But if you can, again, cooperate and say, hey, you know, we'd like to, you know, have some lobbying power in regards to saying like, hey, you know, 
you got to stop cutting reimbursement or else we can't see as many patients. That's what it can come down to long term. So now you told me why you were pursuing this new radiography program. Radiography. I started, I knew it wasn't radiology, but I'm oh, yeah. not sure exactly what it is. Yeah. Explain why right. you're doing that. So I'm joining this radiography program now and kind of going that route. One, because after I've had two back surgeries now, it's physical therapy can be very labor intensive. I don't want to say labor intensive, but it can be pretty cumbersome. It's uh, a lot of joint mobilizations, soft tissue mobilization, trigger point release where after a while, it can really wear away on the body where I'm like, by the time I'm 50, I don't want to be crippled. I want to hopefully have a family by then, have like maybe another passive form of income where I can really relax. And then, you know, uh, work MRI tech or x-ray tech where, again, it's not as labor intensive, but even so, it's still good money. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. There are a lot of these great allied health programs at these schools that are only two years they're very affordable, but you leave, you know, making, I honestly, not to blast anybody out there, but some of my friends who did four-year programs or have a master's, I, even with uh, my PTA program, I make as much money as some people with uh, my friends who have masters. So, you know, you obviously have to be interested in what you're doing, but you also, uh, you know, have to do what's cost-effective too. Well, and you also have to plan. and. Exactly. You know, you plan, that means you have to gather information, conduct research, see what's hot, what's not. Oh, yeah. Think about how to move forward and to do it with intention and to do a good job when you're doing it and distinguish yourself in the course of the journey. Of course. I mean, you even think about school, right? That's like an investment worth of hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases, but not a lot of people research it. I remember originally my father sat me down. I wanted to go to Florida Atlantic and uh, he looked at Florida Atlantic and Kane University and he's like doing the FAFSA for both of them. And he's like, listen, this is how much it's, you're going to be responsible for when you leave here. Are you OK with that? And it was something, you know, like probably triple what Kane University was. And I was like, you know what? I'd be fine going back and forth to Kane. And then even later on, my father said, like, listen, if you really wanted to, I would have helped you out with Florida Atlantic. But it seemed like if you weren't okay with that yourself and you weren't passionate about it, it's not worth it. A know? wise man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a wise man. Know. You know, I know a lot of people spent money to send their children to the schools they wanted to go to, private schools for college and yeah. have gone into debt. And fortunately, unfortunately rather, some of them didn't even finish college. And yeah. the debt is still there. The debt doesn't go away. Of course not. And I'll tell you too, like a lot of times, you know, some masters have oddly specific things. Like, again, I won't mention any names, but I met a girl with who worked at my old company, uh, told me about how she's 150 grand in debt. She's like, I have my master's, but not even making 25 an hour. I, you know, I asked her, I was like, what's this master's in? She said, oh, museum curation. And sometimes I'm like, you'd think in your head that 
why am I going to pay to learn all about this? And I'm not saying it's not a a valueless like uh, major, but I would think if you thought economically, I would rather whatever three years you did there, I would rather work at a museum and then gain experience, gain connections. And then I think a lot of people on paper would say, hey, this person's more qualified for this than X person who has a piece of, you know, the degree, but doesn't have the practical experience. Because even when you enter physical therapy, there's a lot of things you learn in the textbooks that don't necessarily match the clinical research. And it doesn't match what you see in practice. You know, there are different demographics age-wise in the workplace now. And I think that's fabulous because a lot of people have a lot of more senior people have industry experience. They have practical experience that the more junior people don't have, but the junior people know how to do other things that might be technical or computerized, whatever. And the fact that they're in the same workplace, working together, collaborating, and being productive is a testament to how special these working environments are when they're different people with different backgrounds, different, just differences. And they come together and it becomes a learning experience in more ways than one. Of course. I mean, even like you're saying about kind of like uh, skill differences, a lot of times it can be very complimentary. You can have somebody who is very uh, like I've met people like in my industry who are very knowledgeable. They're very uh, well versed with like osteokinematics and a lot of theory behind uh, anatomical movement. but socially bedside manner wise they might not be that great which again i do think having that that the former is more important than the latter but it is important because you know if you have patients like if you're trying to range them and stuff like that if you can't get them comfortable with you they will always be guarding but you really need to get them to a point where they can relax eventually so you can move them through their available range and again hopefully mobilize them gain more depending on what the situation is so now you have a plan do you have a career plan do you know where you want to end up ultimately or you know some ideas i think ultimately again like i am most passionate about physical therapy i love it again just unfortunately in the cards i was dealt i think i would eventually have to move to doing this per diem like you know where I can do it once a day or twice a week. But again, radiography, again, it's in the similar vein. Instead of, I guess, being as hands-on with the body, I'm more of a photographer for the body. But again, it's still interesting. You don't know what you're going to necessarily see. Again, just seeing all sorts of different conditions, like imaging, I mean, that's really like important for the forefront because in physical therapy or even you think a lot of just general like medicine, you can kind of have an idea of what's going on, like, and you can make an assumption based off of like special testing or what alignment of symptoms they have. But unless you do an objective test, like an image and look and see what's going on in there, you might have no idea. I even uh, had another case of a, uh, it was like a juvenile case of a 14 year old with back pain. 
his symptoms are all over the place where after three sessions we said you need to go back to your orthopedist because this doesn't seem like a simple back pain issue and he actually had an infection on one of his lumbar vertebral segments and they had to remove it but again unless you did the mri you wouldn't have known but again that's why i think imaging and radiology you know it's going to be very satisfying because it provides a very important service for people, whether it's pre-screening for something or, again, finding some sort of issue in them that you can't see from the exterior. One of the things I talk about a lot is multiple income streams. And you mentioned passive income, yes. which is an income stream. And if people can create for themselves passive income, which means like my book, To the extent that it sells, I make money off that. That's passive income. The more income streams you have and the more lucrative they are, the less inclined you are to be caught off guard if there's a change in the industry. Oh, yeah. In an industry that you're working in. It's not likely that healthcare is going to drop the healthcare industry is going to have enough people, enough workers. I mean, they're desperate for workers, but you know, it could happen, but I'm trying to encourage people to think more expansively. You know, I've heard people say, why should I have to work more than one job? And my response is because you're young. If you're young, you can, this is when you should. Of course. And if you're not young and you know what your financial situation is and you're complaining about it, maybe you need to work that extra job to get that extra income so you can get out of the hole you say you're in. And I'll tell you, too, a lot of times in healthcare, and this is one of the appeals of radiography, too, is you can work part time at a lot of facilities, but you still get health benefits, 401k, like sick days, everything like that. But if you work part-time there, what you can do is then work per diem somewhere else, and then you're getting paid at a higher rate. And then from there, it kind of averages out. You know, you're working the same amount of hours, but you're getting paid more. And even on the, the whole thing, like you're saying, passive income, I've been about that since college. That's how I paid for my PTA program, because I will say they do warn you at orientation, like, Listen, it's on a very strict schedule. It's not flexible. And once you start your clinical rotations, you're really going to have to cut back at work. But luckily from college, not to get too much into it, but I was actually an avid sneaker collector back from like 2014, 2012. And it rose in popularity over the past 10 years. My college roommate's son did the same thing a few years back. Oh, yeah. And I could literally go by six shoes for a thousand dollars and then that weekend sell them like i would go saturday morning go that i'd spend three hours going to malls go pick up all these things i had reservations on and then i could sell it for three thousand dollars by sunday and just ship them all out and then again essex county again it's affordable i'm in county and then you could pay for my semester just off of one weekend and then again eventually i do want to get into like hopefully like owning some property like may get into like renting houses, stuff like that. Because again, it's good to have passive forms of income. I think it leads to just freedom, you know, because then you're not 
necessarily reliant on a job. Hmm? If not freedom, flexibility. Exactly. You're not necessarily dependent on a job or uh, anything for a source of income. I mean, obviously, there's a whole insurance thing, but NJ Marketplace for insurance, God forbid if anything happened. But I'll tell you, I even right now in the medical field, I think it's right now a very strong workers market where even my first job, again, I liked it there. It was very nice people and everything. But, you know, when you get out of uh, my number one advice for people when they get out of jobs is get your experience for one or two years. And the fastest way, honestly, unless they're treating you well, is to go find another job. You shouldn't feel obligated to necessarily stay somewhere. I left my first job that I was seeing a lot of patients that were very happy with me, everything like that. But they're like, hey, sorry, you know, you started at this lower rate, like because you were a new grad. And uh, it's just hard to necessarily justify to investors to give you this dramatic increase in pay, even though I was uh, being underpaid. But I was uh, willing to do it because, again, I had no experience and it was a guaranteed job even before my license was issued by the state. So they just said, when you get your license, come practice here. But as soon as I left, you know, I, and I just asked, I said, hey, I either need this or I have to find another job. And they were like, okay, well, we can't do it, even though I've been there for two years. But then within a week, I found another job currently where I am now, A-plus physical therapy, and I got what I wanted out of it. And uh, right now, again, just medical jobs, there's a high demand for it. And you shouldn't be afraid to, again, speak about wages with your coworkers and stuff like that. And again, ask for more if you really think you deserve it. And then again, if it's within reason, I'm sure they'll, in most cases, they'll be accommodating. But if not, then you have to be willing to move somewhere else. It might be uncomfortable at first to move to a new job. I find that's the most common thing is people are like, oh, well, I know the people here. I don't want to move all this and that. But sometimes you have to be willing to do something like that. And eventually it will become comfortable. Well, you know, I think managing expectations. I think sometimes people think after working two years or I know a situation where a friend told me a story of someone she worked with was going to leave the company because she'd been working for a year and she hadn't been promoted. Well, that's, yeah. That's not realistic or reasonable. You have to be reasonable and realistic about what your marketability is and what your talents are. And before you even make a move, don't move until you have a job. You don't want to a paying job until you find you have something to replace it. Unless for some reason you're not safe where you are, you're being abused in some way. Yeah. And that's why I agree with you when you're saying like you have to know the value of your job. Because again, I'd say in highly skilled fields, you can do this. Where it's, hey, listen, are you going to, like, again, like, there's a very social aspect to physical therapy. Again, a a very skilled end where you have to know how to apply your skills as well as, again, be sociable. People have to like you, again, bedside manner. Where it's not necessarily easy to replace somebody one for one on a fit. But, again, if I worked at, like, you know, like, one of my first jobs was King's, would I try doing that, like... Hey, I've worked in this deli for two years and I don't have a promotion. I'm going to go over to ShopRite. 
No, probably not. Because again, that is a job where the work pool is a lot higher. They probably just be like, all right, we'll have somebody to do what you do in about a week. So it's, again, like you were saying, you have to really value, set your expectations and know your value on the job place. Because again, if you, in a highly skilled field, you can manage to do that within reason. But if you are in a very, again, lower skill job, you know, an entry level job, you don't necessarily have the ability to do so. No, and a college degree doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be promoted every six months, every year, every two years. Because I'll tell you, there's like an inflation of credentials right now where I think even now my sister, who she's actually joining me on the radiography program, who went, she went to American University. She has a criminal justice major. You know, she wanted to be a lawyer like my father, but it was just, she realized, it was just very expensive. It's a lot of school. And nowadays, people are spending up into their 30s going to school. And people are just getting education fatigue, I feel like. And they're like, you know, I'm building up all this debt. I want to make some money and get out and seek other things. So I, she, I told her about the allied health programs. And she was just very interested. And right now, she's working as an MRI tech. So she found like, oh, I'm really interested in this field now. And now she's willing to pivot as well. You have to have a plan. These days you have to have a plan. And then you have to realize that your plan can turn to mush. So you've got to be able to pivot. You've got to be flexible. And you've got to keep your eye on what's going on in the industries that you're working in, that you're interested in and around you. Because things can change in a nanosecond. And you have to be prepared to make decisions that you weren't planning to make at that time and to change your plan and alter the trajectory you expected to be on. It doesn't mean that you, like you, it doesn't mean that you can't achieve your goals. You may have to do it a different way. Of course. I mean, hey, again, it's exactly like back to my first job i did research on other jobs and what people are getting paid and i i was like listen i'm getting basically underpaid by like ten thousand dollars like where i was like hey you know i just want to match these other jobs you know is it worth going through hiring somebody else when people are already familiar with me i'm already familiar with uh, like the medical records programs and stuff like that the patients know me. Is it worth doing all that? And again, the other part that led me to it is my friend had applied from a uh, another job. And just because she was coming in out from another job outsider, they were giving her exactly what I wanted. So I knew in my head, I was like, I know it's on the table. Like, why is it? But they just told me, I'm sorry, it doesn't make much sense, but we just can't because you started at this lower rate and percentage wise, it would just be too much. So I was just like, hey, you know, I didn't plan on leaving. I was hoping that would go there. But in the back of my head, I also had a plan like, hey, if I need to leave, I'll leave. It's uh, no qualms. Yeah. Well, Brandon, I really appreciate you sharing your experience and your journey, both employment and your medical journey. I mean, you're tenacity and your perseverance is aspirational. 
You know, everyone is not going to have back issues, but there's always something in our lives that there's always a monkey wrench somewhere, you know, and you have to be able to move around it. We can't always jump over it. Sometimes we just have to take a beat and figure out how we can get around it and still achieve our goals. And you've been able to do that. And I think hearing from you will benefit a lot of people. So thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Beverly. I'm going to sign off now. Please remember that your GPS to employment success is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and independent book stores everywhere. And if you have any suggestions for topics, please go to my website, www.youremploymentmatters.com and let me know what you'd like to hear about. And I'll try to find a guest who can speak knowledgeably about that. And until next time, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.